Well, today's scripture reading today comes from Exodus chapter 14, and we're going to read uh, verses 10 through 14 in the ESV, and uh, we encourage you to find that. Uh, if you're here in person, we have ESV Bibles that are under your seats, so feel free to look that up. If you're joining us from home or remotely, uh, feel free to look up the scripture on your own. We're also going to project it, but sometimes it can be kind of hard to read uh, depending on the size of your screen. And so again, uh, the scripture reading is Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 through 14. And we ask that if you're here in person and if you feel comfortable doing this, uh, if you're joining us online, uh, to please stand as able for the reading of God's word. So may the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us today. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness." And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, today, uh, the message is, Fight My Battles, and... You know, in many ways, there's a lot of uh, imagery in, in the Bible about battles and wars and things like that. Uh, but I think, you know, metaphorically, we talk a lot about fighting in this day and age, right? There's a lot for us to fight for. And I, I think uh, in our society, uh, we really like to be the ones who win. <laughs> and we like to be strong. I think it is something that we're, we're kind of ingrained from a very young age, uh, to try to be self-sufficient, right? To try to figure out things on our own. To try to be able to stand our own, on our own two feet. And those things are not bad by any means. It's definitely important for us to grow into ourselves. But I think that idea of being strong, for many of us, can become kind of an idol. And in some ways can help us from becoming whole people. Uh, this sermon series, this whole year, has been about becoming whole. And one of the things that is kind of ironic is that we try to be whole, and in many ways our society is trying to teach us to be whole on our own, right? Like, you don't need anyone. You, you be strong and independent, right? That, that's definitely a very high value for us. But in many ways, the Christian story is that we cannot be whole on our own without the help of God. And so we wanted to look at the story today. Uh, this is the story of the Exodus, and it's a story that is very near and dear uh, to the hearts of uh, the people of uh, Israel and all of their ancestors. Um, and it's a time where God answered their prayers and their cries. Because uh, we were talking a few weeks ago about how Joseph brought his whole family down to Egypt. But Pharaoh forgets about them, uh, forgets about Joseph. And, and uh, they start to uh, enslave the, the people of Israel and they're just forced to serve in just really brutal ways. And in many ways, uh, we know that when you have kind of a minority or when you have uh, a nation and, you know, ethnically and religiously and all of these different things, those people may be different than the majority. That doesn't always end well for the people in the minority, right? And that's definitely what happens to the people of Israel. They're treated brutally and they're crying out. And so last week we saw 
that uh, God called Moses, right? And God revealed himself to Moses. And he's sending Moses to the people uh, and to, um, to the people to proclaim that God has heard them. And he's sending Moses to Pharaoh, to the power in Egypt, to tell them, you need to let my people go, right? And so what proceeds to happen is there's a battle, a kind of war that unfolds. But it's a war unlike any war that we've seen. You know, in human history, most of the wars that we see, it's between people, right? But really, what you see in the Exodus, it's God fighting the battles for Israel, right? And so Moses goes to, to the Pharaoh and says, hey, you better let my people go. And Pharaoh doesn't, right? He keeps changing his mind and taking back his word. And so all of these things start happening, right? Different plagues start coming and pestilence, and all these different things, right? All of these signs that God shows. Hey, you are not to trifle with the people of God. And so finally, Pharaoh does let the people go. Uh, but it, in today's story, we see that uh, Pharaoh changes his mind. He's like, wait, what, what have we done? You know, and, and we, we just lost, you know, this huge workforce. And so they go to get the people back. And they're chasing them down. And so Pharaoh is drawing near with all of their chariots. And um, this is what we see in verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they feared greatly. Well, yeah, right? They see this great power, Egypt, in all of their military might, with their chariots and the horses and with spears and with, with uh, you know, ceremonial headdresses and these different things. And they're like, man, the Egyptians mean business. And here we are, we're these people, and we're just carrying our, you know, a few of our earthly possessions. We, we, we've got our elderly, our children, uh, and, and we're, just, we're just walking here. You know, we're sitting ducks in many ways. And so they said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt? They've taken us away to die in the wilderness. What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. So yeah, even though we were in brutal slavery, at least we, were, we would live, right? Most of us. But now you have sent us here to die. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. This is kind of the theme of the people of Israel, that throughout their history, um, they didn't always have the greatest armies, but their belief was that God was fighting on their behalf. Right? That God was the one who was fighting their battles. And friends, I do want to say, I know sometimes when we hear stories like this, we think about you know, military and we think of these kinds of things. And I want to assure you, we're going to get to Jesus, right? We'll get to Jesus. And there is a new way. There is a different way, right? We, we're under this kind of new covenant, right? And so um, please understand when I talk about fighting battles, right? We are talking now more kind of the metaphorical battles that we all fight right? And so we're not talking about violence per se, but this idea that a lot of us, I think, are in situations where we're like, there is something that I'm struggling towards, and I can't seem to do it on my own. This enemy is too great. 
I can't overcome, right? And so this idea of God being the one who fights your battles, right? It's not just you, but you have the might of a holy God, right? That was the conviction of the people of Israel. And for us, you know, for me, I want to learn, how can we get, uh, how can we learn to have God fight our battles? Well, first and foremost is what is said in verse 14. We need to be silent, right? And it says, the Lord will fight for you. This is what Moses says. You have only to be silent. You're going to see salvation. You're going to see glory. Your job This is your job. This is your assignment. And maybe the people of Israel are like, okay, Moses, what do we do? What do we do? Okay, we're ready to move, right? This is the way it works. When there's stress, when there's a battle to be fought, fight or flight kicks in. So they're like, which one is it? Fight or flight. And he says, neither. Be silent. What? (laughs) This is not our instinct, right? And so for many of us, when we have a battle to be fought, our instinct is to, like we said, fight, flee, right? We want to do something, right? Do you ever, like, get in a situation where you're, like, stuck in traffic? And nowadays, we have, like, GPS, and, and you know, our phone talks to us. And I just, uh, I have this uh, GPS program called uh, Waze, and I just realized, I, I, I think you guys know this, but Waze has, like, all these different voices on there. And I changed mine to the Terminator. And so it's like, I, I actually think Arnold Schwarzenegger recorded lines for it because it's exactly his voice. It's like, turn left. You know, hasta la vista, baby. It actually says that when you get to your destination. It's so funny. But, you know, so we have this voice, right? And, and I used to tell people, like, if you want to know God's will for you, right, it's not a roadmap. It's more like GPS, right? We want a roadmap. We want to be able to see like, okay, what's the destination? Where am I going? How long is it going to take to get there, right? We don't like GPS. GPS, and and, and you you guys might know this, if there's a traffic jam or something unexpected happens, the GPS might actually change, right? It might be like recalculating, or in the case of my GPS, recalculating, and it'll take you a different way, and you just have to listen, right? Has there ever been a time where you're sitting there in traffic and you see, like, at least on my GPS, there's this, like, terrible red line that shows, like, heavy traffic, right? And, and GPS is telling you the best route is to stay in this red line, right? To stay in this thick traffic. And sometimes you'll see that little side street, and you're like, hmm, I think I know better. (laughs) I'm going to pull off. And there are times where, brothers and sisters, I do that. I do that. I turn off the road, not because it's faster, but because I'm moving. (laughs) Right? I just want to move. I want to feel like I'm making progress. But really, you know, the truth of it is that the GPS knows better. Right? The GPS has taken all of this these things into consideration, you know, how fast other people are going and, you know, uh, traffic helicopters and these different things. And they're like, I'm telling you, this is the best way, (laughs) right? But I think I know better and I want to keep moving, right? And is it like that for us in life where maybe the message from God for you in your season when you're going through your battle is, you know what? Learn to be still first. Learn to be silent. There's a wisdom in that, Right? Because sometimes when we act, it's just because of our fear, 
right? You have that immediate reaction. I got to move. I got to run. I got to fight, right? And maybe what we need to learn is what Moses says to the people of God, right? Like, look at what he says. He says, fear not, stand firm, right? Stand firm. And stand firm isn't walk. It isn't punch, right? It isn't struggle. It's to be still. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Some of you are saying, but Pastor Steve, isn't there a time to act and a time to be silent, right? Like, like how do we figure that out? Definitely, and that's actually the second point. We're going to talk about when we act and how we act, but the most important thing is to remember that you have someone who's acting on your behalf, right? This is the confidence of the people of God. You are not alone. And sometimes you just need to take a moment. You need to take a beat to remember where salvation comes from. Is it coming from you? Is it going to come from within? Is it going to come from your own cleverness? Well, I got to tell you, even if it does, it's not going to serve you to act out of fear, right? We just act on this instinct and out of this kind of fight or flight. And friends, if you're anything like me, when we act out of fear, we often make some really bad choices, don't we? Right? We, we get off the highway when we should have stayed, right? We, we take the long route when really the most direct route was already in front of us, but we don't like that. We feel uncomfortable. The last thing we want to do is stand firm, Right? But it's important for us to not just stand firm, but stand firm in the Lord and to see his salvation. Now, I know the salvation that they're talking about here uh, in the Exodus story is going to be this parting of the Red Sea and the people go through and the armies of of, uh, Pharaoh come after them. And then the waters close over the armies of Pharaoh. Right. And they see that that salvation in a very palpable way. And by the way, friends. What does it mean when, we, when Moses says, you're going to see the salvation of the Lord? Salvation, it's this word that kind of means something completely different from, uh, I should say, when Christians use the word salvation, it means something different than the way it's always been used in human history and the way that it's used in the Bible, to be honest, right? So when we say salvation, uh, uh, for most Christians nowadays, we automatically think of going to heaven after you die. And friends, think about it in this way. Is that what Moses is saying to his people? He's like, okay, fear not, because today you're going to see the salvation of the Lord, which means you're all going to die, right? And you're going to go to heaven after you die. No, right? What, is, what does it mean when the people of Israel are crying out under this severe oppression, and they're saying, save me, save me. Are they saying, make sure I go to heaven after I die? Or do they mean, free me, free me from the slavery? Or how about this? You ever been like, okay, maybe, I don't know, if you've been in water and you can't swim, right? Imagine someone is, they're drowning, right? And they see a boat nearby, and you're going, save me, save me. And the person is like, You're going to go to heaven after you die. That's not what it means, right? Now, so don't get me wrong. Salvation does mean that, but it doesn't mean only that, right? God is meant to be a help in your everyday life. 
And that is the way we always understood it. But the, the reason why we think it means only going to heaven after you die is because when Christianity became really, really popular in, in, in the Western world, and there were very, very powerful people who were using Christianity to keep people down. They don't want peasants and slaves to cry out for actual salvation. So they're like, oh, no, 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 no. See, even though you're in this terrible predicament right now and you're poor and you're hungry, cheer up. You're going to go to heaven after you die. And it's a neat trick. We move salvation entirely into the life that's not this life, the afterlife, right? So we have no hope of salvation here and now right? But what about us right now? What if you're struggling with finances? What if you're struggling with crippling depression? What if you're struggling with anxiety where it feels like sometimes like you're going to die and you can't breathe and you can't sleep? What happens then when we cry out to God and we say, save me? And then the church says back to you, hey, don't worry, you're going to go to heaven after you die. Well, what about now? Friends, that has always been the hope right, is that there is a salvation that we can experience now. And make no mistake, God's love is so great that when he gets a grip of your life, it's going to stay, right, for all of eternity, for this life and the next. Don't get me wrong, that's salvation too, but it also starts here, here and now, in your life. This is where you can see the salvation of the Lord. But we need to learn how to be able to see it. And it comes first with us learning to stand firm, be silent, and remember where the salvation is coming from, right? And so this is the thing. If you think salvation only comes from you, then yes, go and run, (laughs) right? Go and fight. But if the salvation is going to come from God, we need to recognize. We have to kind of like fight that, that, that wiring that we have, right? This is just the way we're all wired. We immediately want to fight. We immediately want to run. We immediately want to just kind of figure it out. And we have something to say and something to do. And we start complaining, Moses, how dare you bring us out into the desert? You know, this is terrible. It's even worse than before. And Moses is like, shh, you got to remember you got to remember, I know, I know your fear makes you want to talk. Your, 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 your fear makes you want to complain. Your fear makes you want to hide, right? But you need to take a moment and be still, stand firm, and look. See where your salvation is coming from. It's not coming from you, right? It's going to come from God. It always has. Remember, God has been faithful before. He will be faithful again. We've seen salvation before. He's already brought us out of Egypt, right? He's already shown you all these miracles, right? He is trustworthy, but we need to be able to see it. All right, second point. Second thing, uh, if we want to see um, God fight our battles for us, is to do your 1%. And and so what, what do I mean by that? What, what is the 1%? So I kind of get this idea from, uh, there's this uh, Franciscan priest um, that I've read a lot of his books. His name's Richard Rohr. And Richard Rohr said that when he started out as a priest, very young guy, um, that he said to God, he's like, okay, God, you and me, partnership, 50-50, right? We're going to do this. You do your half, I'll do my half. This is going to be great. And he said that about every decade or so, he readjusts that number, that ratio, And so, you know, like about 10 years in into ministry, he's like, okay, God, I know you're probably doing more like 60%, and mine's like 40%. And then a few years pass, and he's like, ah, yeah, it's actually 70% you and 30% me. A few years pass, 80% you, 20%, 90%, 
And so the idea of the 1% is God is doing the heavy lifting, right? God is going to do most of it, but God doesn't do all of it, right? And what I mean by that is that we have to kind of put ourselves in the positions to be able to see God's salvation and to be able to move when God tells you to move. If God opens a door, to be able to walk through the door, right? And that's exactly what happens in this passage. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward, right? And so after taking that beat, hey, stand firm, be silent, remember where your help comes from. And now, now is the time, move forward, move forward in faith, right? And so that was what they needed to do. They're 1% in that moment. And then he says to Moses, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And and I, I wonder you know, like, like uh, I'm trying to remember the whole old Charlton Heston Ten Commandments. They make, like, Moses just seem, like, so manly and so powerful. Pharaoh, let my people go! You know, it's this very kind of impressive thing. And by the way, Moses never did that, right? Because if you guys remember, Moses was really uh, not sure of himself. And he actually begged God. He said, God, please, can you send someone else? Not me. I can't do this. I'm not good at words. I'm not good at speaking. And so what God ends up doing is he sends Moses' brother, Aaron, to be the mouthpiece. And so literally, Moses is so scared and so shy that he goes before Pharaoh, and then he's like, Moses says that God said to let my people go. That's what happens, right? It's not as manly, right? It's not as, like, strong, right? We think we're the one doing it. And I wonder if you see the scene, Moses with the staff, and do you see him, like, kind of, like, performing magic or something? Like Gandalf, if you guys know Lord of the Rings, like, you shall not pass! And it's it's kind of straining, like, you don't want to separate! Or is it literally he goes and he lifts up his staff and then the waters just go, boop. Is it Moses who's doing it? Or is it God? Right? Do we misconstrue that we think we're the ones who are supposed to do it? When really, it's God. Right? And so, really, Moses and Aaron are just the messengers. They go before Pharaoh, and they're like, let my people go. If you don't, this is what God said will happen. And then God does exactly what he says will happen. It's God who does it, right? But definitely, don't misunderstand. Moses and Aaron, they have a part. And their part is to do what God tells them to, right? To actually tell Pharaoh what God said, right? To lift up the staff, to be able to walk through on dry land, right? And so we do have a part. And so, friends, I think that in this day and age, for a lot of us, we have learned to be really, really passive about our faith. And, and, and we, we have this concept of grace, like God is so gracious, God is acting, he is doing. And, and the thing that I see in Scripture is what always happens is that we are called to respond to grace, right? God calls you, and then you have to say, here I am. Maybe that's your 1%. It doesn't seem like a lot, right? Just saying, God, I'm here. What do you want me to do? Right? And so, friends, in your present situation, number one, right? Be still. Be silent. 
remember where your help comes from, right, before you start acting, right? But then maybe to ask the question, okay, God, what then am I supposed to do? And maybe it's not the time yet, right? Because we did say it's 1%. <laughs> it's not 50%, right? Yeah, God wants to use you. And God does have to use you. And he has to put you in the right place at the right time, right? But oftentimes, you'll know when that time is if you fully trust in God. And it's going to be in the spirit of love and trust in God and faith and not in a spirit of fear. This kind of anxious like, oh, I better do it. If I don't do it, no one else will, right? But in the spirit of love that God might ask you like, okay, I do want you to pray for this person. You know, I, I do want you to open your Bible. I do want you to reach out to this person. I do want you to apply for this job or whatever the case may be. You know, we do have a 1% that we need to do. Third thing, friends, this is really important because this is one that I think really trips people up. And to be honest, I think this is the one that makes us turn back, is don't be surprised if there's opposition. I mean, there was in this passage, right? And, and, and so it, what God says is, listen, this is all a part of my plan. Um, This is a part of the story that, to be honest, as a preacher, I really, 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 really am really, really tempted to leave out because it's so hard to explain. And it just doesn't fit in our modern understanding of free will. Is that you see again and again and again God in Exodus say, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And we hate that. We're like, hmm, but I thought we had free will. I mean, was this just all a setup, right? And so it's kind of odd because, so here it does say, and I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I've gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. So friends, um, the, the hardening of the heart thing I remember when I studied this in seminary, the way they talked about it is that, um, okay, this is the way they explained it in seminary, and then I'm going to explain to you the understanding that I've come to. The way they explain it in seminary is that sometimes there are ways that God works where, yes, you do have free will, and it does seem like Pharaoh is choosing at times. He's like, "Mm, yeah, no, I'm not going to let the people go. Like, are you kidding? Like, we have this huge workforce. Why would I let you go? Right? And sometimes he's kind of insulted, like, how dare you? How dare you come before the power that is Egypt and tell Pharaoh what to do? Mm, no, I don't play like that. Right? And you see this kind of anger, and you see this kind of like, like he's already made his mind up. And, and this is what was explained to me in seminary. Sometimes when you've already made your mind up, God is like, okay, well, I'm going to give you more of what you've already decided to do. And the hardening of the heart is like, okay, well, I'm going to set you more on your way. Right? Because you already chose that. Right? Now, the problem with that is that it, it doesn't really say that in the scripture. What, what seems to happen is that there is this weird paradox that the, the biblical writers really don't have much of a problem with, but we do, <laughs> because we are all about our own sovereignty and our own choices, right? But what it seems to me is that in scripture, it's like Pharaoh makes a choice, but really behind the scenes, God is the one who's ultimately in control, right? And so even though in our way of thinking, it is absolutely our choice, right? Pharaoh's not like, oh, I'm feeling hardened, you know? But he just does this thing, 
right? It just makes these choices, right? And, and the message is supposed to be, I think, that God is the one who is always in control. He's in control, right? So even when it seems like your enemies are going against you, this is the, the biblical writer's way of saying, this was all a part of God's plan. Nothing escapes God's plan, right? And he says, you think that you see the power of Egypt, you know, one of the world's greatest powers, right? And you see all of their technology, all their chariots, all of their horsemen, all of their military might, and there's nothing that compares to that. But let me tell you what. Their power does not compare it to mine. It's not even close. And so, yeah, worldly powers, they might seem very imposing. And they may be opposed to the purposes of God, right? Pharaoh may not want to give up his workforce willingly, right? And he might fight against that. And, and what, what, what seems to be saying in all of this is don't be surprised when it happens. This is not outside of my will. I am still in control. And I am still the power that needs to be reckoned with ultimately, right? And so, friends, I wonder, though, for us, when we start moving in the direction that maybe, you know, God wants us to. And some people may not be on board. Some people, they have their own stuff going on, right? They have their own agenda, and they may not like what you are doing. And maybe someone seems to be in opposition to you. Don't be surprised, right? Like, sometimes I I think we have this idea that if God is blessing you, that it's just going to be the smooth road all the way through. And that, like, no one's going to get in your way. You're not, never going to have any problems. And the first sign of opposition, we're like, God, why would you do this? Why would you send this person to be so negative? Why would you send this traffic jam when, when, when I'm already running late for the job interview, right? Why, why would you do this stuff? And in many ways, I don't think God is necessarily doing it, but you live in a broken world, right? And there's so many other moving pieces, and it's not all about you, Right? And so you cannot design the kind of life where everything revolves around what you want when you want it. That's sometimes what opposition is. And even that, God is saying, didn't surprise me. Don't worry. I'm still in control. It is not about things going according to our will. It's about things going according to God's will. And the thing is, you're not going to know what that is. I'm sorry. (laughs) I wish I could tell you otherwise. There might be some moments where God, in his grace, will give you a vision of what your life should be, where he wants to bring you. But even that, friends, I got to tell you, don't hold on to that too tightly because God may change it. God made the GPS recalculating, recalculating. You never know. You can't hold on to that. The only thing you can hold on to is I know it might sound like a cliche, but truly, the only thing you can hang on to is God, right? The fact that God is with you, the fact that God will bless you, that God wants good things for you, that God is going to fight your battles and be there on your behalf. That's the one thing that we have, more than our plans, more than our feeling that, oh, we're succeeding because nothing is getting in our way, right? I got to tell you, sometimes, like, that's the only thing that, like, makes me happy is the idea that things are going my way. I was having a terrible day yesterday when Michigan was playing Illinois, and it was, like, 17 to, what was the score? 16. And it looked like they were going to lose. And I was like, man, 
The world is unfair. And then, of course, Jake Moody kicks a last-second field goal. They win the game 19-17, to and all of a sudden, it's sunshine and roses. God is good. And then I get in my car because we had Bible study yesterday. We had a family Bible study. And um, I, 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 like, I knew I should have left before the game was over, you know, uh, because you know, coming to church, I, I knew I was going to hit the game traffic, but I'm like, I got to see what happens, right? And so I see him kick the field goal, and I'm like, kids, get in the car. We got to go right now. We got to beat the game traffic. And, and so I made this last-second decision. Uh, I'm coming from 23, and there's like 94. That's the way I usually go to church. And I'm like, no. I'm going to take 23 north. I'm going to take 14. I'm going to go around the game traffic. And I didn't hit any game traffic. And I come into church, and I'm feeling so blessed. I'm like, God is good. Michigan won. I didn't hit any game traffic. I'm not late. Is that what blessing is? (laughs) Sometimes it feels like that. But what if I did hit all the game traffic? Right? What if? Would God be any less good? Right? Friends, I I wonder if that's how we feel. Right? Right? God is good because things went my way. Can God still be good when things don't go your way? That's the experience of the people of Israel. And, I mean, they're very stubborn about it like we are. There's so many times where they're like, I I, I don't know if this is going to turn out. They complain. They're like, Moses, why are you doing this? Like, like we knew it. We knew we never should have left. We never should have trusted you. You don't know what you're talking about. That's the way we feel so often. Are you sure, God? Are you sure there really is a God? Pastor Steve, are you just, you know, blowing smoke in my face, talking about this God, and just setting me up for a fall? I got to tell you, my experience has not been that. It hasn't always gone the way that I want. But I know that there's someone else with me in that fire. There's someone else there fighting my battles for me. That has been my experience. One of the things I've learned as a pastor (laughs) in 18 years, it's so weird, is that I feel like, honestly, the less I do, the better a pastor I become. That that sounds so un-American. I mean, I I know how that sounds. But there's so many times where they're like, Pastor Steve, you're so calm, or, you know, you're showing so much grace right now. I'm like, yeah, because I'm not talking, right? I'm not acting. I'm not running around with my head cut off trying to manage fires and trying to make everything work out. Sometimes I'm just like, okay, God, I just feel like I I just need to be still. And there's a few moments where it's like, okay, now's the time to act. Now's the time to talk. Now's the time to walk forward, right? But it's far less than what I thought, right? Because there is someone who's fighting on my behalf. And, and I hope that that is the God that we can know. Um, so, friends, I just want to end with this. I know we've been talking about battles. And in the Old Testament, there were a people that lived in a very dangerous time where there were other nations who wanted to stamp them out. And the way that God fought their battles back then was to literally fight their battles, right? Literally have wars and those kinds of things. That time has, has, has gone away, right? If you guys remember, there's that time where the, the, the powers that be, the, the, the Roman guards and the, the, the different people came, and they were trying to seize Jesus. Do you guys remember this? And, and the disciples, they brought swords, and they start fighting back. And then what does Jesus say? He says, no, no, put down the sword. Put down the sword. That's not how we're going to fight this battle. And then Jesus, the king, 
right? I mean, they thought Jesus was coming in as a conquering king. They were going to overthrow Rome. Heads were going to roll, like literally. But that's not what happened. Jesus goes on a cross willingly. He is whipped, he is humiliated, and he is executed on a Roman cross. And if you guys remember, it's that famous scene where Jesus on the cross, he says these three words that are just so paradoxical. He says, it is finished. The battle's won, right? Mic drop. That's the mic drop moment in history. And it makes no sense from our perspective. We think the battle is won when all of our enemies are in the ground. And Jesus thinks the battle is won when all of his enemies have been forgiven. Right? And this is what Jesus does. He takes all of the sin of the world, all of the bad, all of the evil upon himself, and he dies for us. And that is how the battle is won. And so, friends, we can be assured, right, that we have a, 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 a God who won the ultimate battle over sin and death, not by fighting the way that we think, but through his own wisdom, the wisdom of the cross. And we can also take our crosses knowing that from cross comes resurrection, right? That that same power that resurrected Jesus goes with all of us. Can I ask the praise team to come up? I want to take a moment as the praise team is setting up for our closing praise. Maybe we can just take a look at that cross. And, you know, friends, I, I want to ask you something. And, and this is just something you can answer for yourself. Was there something that, that, that you heard today, something you heard me say, something you heard in story today that, <laughs> that made you angry? you didn't like. You heard that, and there's just something within you. You're like, mm, just made you uncomfortable. I got to tell you, friends, it is not the way of the world to let someone else fight your battles, right? It is not the way of the world to be still, right? And, and to wait and to do these things. And it's not the way of the world to let death come before victory does. But that's exactly what Jesus did. Right? He said, my grace is perfect. It is sufficient for you in your weakness. That in your weakness, my grace will be perfected. In your weakness, in your sufferings, you will be made strong. So friends, even if we go through those cross moments, friends know that resurrection power goes with you. It is always with you. And maybe some of us, we might be battling disappointment because, you know, there's some of us, we, we have that spirit of skepticism. We're like, yeah, but, I mean, if I don't do anything, I mean, how can I know that God will be trustworthy? I mean, again, we're not saying do nothing. But we're saying first make the move to trust in God. First make the move to look upon his salvation. Look upon the cross again. Remember what he did for you. Remember resurrection power. Jesus does battle with all the earthly powers. God does that, right? He does battle with Egypt, with the chariots, with the spears, with the horses, with the armies. And he comes out victorious. And even against the power of this age, the power of death, 
Jesus has the victory. Can we learn to start trusting that? Can we at least be still to look upon that salvation? To even wonder, to say, is it true? Is it true that you died for us, that I can trust you? This is how we become whole, brothers and sisters. And so, friends, yeah, maybe just take a moment to pray, to bring your disappointment, to bring your skepticism, to bring your doubt before God. Lord, I pray, God, just for each and every one of us. I know we all go through life, and it can be a struggle at times. We don't always see the perfect path forward. There seem to be so many obstacles in front of us. There's so many things that worry us and stress us out and give us anxiety attacks. And God, we just don't know what to do. But Lord, teach us how to look up, how to look at your salvation and to see that you are with us. You are always with us. You will never let us go. You will never let us down. We need only to wait upon your salvation and to learn to go with you, not to go on our own, but to trust fully in you and what you are doing. God, we thank you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.